Now, it's important to understand that John 9 does not stand on its own. John 9 is linked to John 8 and John 10. Like, so John 8, 9, and 10 work together. At the point that John 9 starts, the religious establishment is more angry with Jesus than it has ever been. Jesus is on their hit list at this point, literally. John 8 we, Jesus encounters a woman who's caught in adultery, and he frees her. He draws in the sand, right? And you've heard that story before. Jesus then launches into a series of teaching in front of the Pharisees. They quiz him. He quizzes them back and forth. The way that John 8, in summary, ends is that Jesus equates himself with God. Jesus says, before Abraham was, right? Abraham's there, Abraham, kind of a, like, like he is the great prophet held on high. Before Jesus, uh, before Abraham, Jesus says, I am. He doesn't say before Abraham, I was. He says before Abraham, I am. Which means that that's exactly what God called himself in Exodus chapter 3. The name Yahweh, right? So Jesus is equating himself with God. They lose it. If you just glance back up to John 8, one of those last couple of verses, you'll see that it says that they picked up stones to stone him. Right? But Jesus slipped through them and left the temple. John 8 runs straight into John 9. So what we have here is such an interesting thing. So for the beginning of this, I want you to imagine putting yourself into the shoes of the blind guy, which is what I've done. In fact, why don't you join me in my blindness? Close your eyes. Now, I'm trusting you that your eyes are closed because I can't see anybody to call them out. Um, But like, just let this sink in for just a second. So this is a agrarian society that's very, very religious. Everything about this society is wrapped around God, Yahweh, and the temple, and the law, the way that God told the people to follow him. This is Israel under Roman oppression, Romans couldn't care less about poor people, right? And so it was pretty much a take-care-of-yourself, dog-eat-dog kind of a world at this point in time. And this particular man is sitting there, and he is blind. Now, we don't know if he's begging or not. He, he may have been. He probably was, because blind people didn't have a lot, a lot of resources in those days. But there was a common understanding that if something bad happened in your life, that there was some kind of sin. So this guy is just sitting there. Like he's just sitting there. Notice in the text, he does not say a word to anyone. He's just sitting there. And the disciples are following Jesus, and they say to Jesus, now just imagine that you're sitting there minding your own business, right? In your own world of darkness, because you can't see You have never been able to see. You don't know what a flower looks like. You don't know what white clouds against the blue sky are. Heck, you don't even know what blue is. You've never seen it before. You don't know the faces of your parents. Right? You don't know the structural, like, like the way that the, that that the roads in your town look and are laid out. You, you don't, you don't know any of those things. What you can do, because you're blind, is you can hear really well. You've learned how to compensate for the fact that you can't see. So your ears are tuned. You've learned how to smell. 
because you don't know what your food looks like. You've learned how to touch. You've learned how to use your hands to guide yourself around obstacles. You've learned how to reach out and take things. You've learned how to miss things with your hands. You've learned to let your other senses be engaged really, really strongly. But one thing you've never done is see. So you're just sitting there with your other four senses, with one sense not working, the other four senses in, in, in play, and suddenly you're getting talked about. Right? You didn't say anything to anybody. Come to find out later in the text, you don't even know this is Jesus. There's just some people walking, and suddenly you're getting judged. Master, teacher, this blind guy here, who sinned, him or his parents, that he should be born blind? Are you serious? Who sinned? And now you're automatically talking about my mom? Like, like you're, you're, you're leveling that level of judgment at her? For real? Like the guy, he doesn't say a thing. He doesn't ask for help. Nothing. But he suddenly is getting talked about and he's hearing what they're saying. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that they should be born blind? There's a basic understanding, right, that something had to have gone wrong, that, 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 that I am blind because I sinned or my parents sinned. This is the judgment. This is the weight under which I live. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He wasn't born blind because of sin. He was born blind in order that the works of God might be seen in him. And open your eyes back up. Look me in the face. Well, you look at me. I'll talk. Allow this verse to rework your theology of suffering. Allow this verse to carry the appropriate weight that it is meant to when it comes to the way that you think about suffering in your life or the life of someone that you're connected to. Who Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Nobody sinned. This piece of suffering in this man's life is not, is not as a result of sin. Rather, it is for the point of glory. It is for the point of glorifying God. It is for the point of the works of God being seen in his life. There's not much more I can say about it. I mean, it's, it, it, it both is that simple and it's massively complex all at the same time. All I'm asking you to do is let it carry the weight that it's supposed to when it comes to suffering in your life or in somebody else's. We always want to know why. We always want to know why. And I think that God has given us the answer as to why. It's just that we don't like the answer. And oftentimes we don't like the process that gets us to the answer, which is that God is at work in your life working his glory in you. And sometimes that glory comes through healing, and sometimes that glory comes through suffering. But if you will lean into what God brings to you, it will always be for your glory, and it will be for his glory. So who sinned? This man or his parents that he should be born blind? Neither this man nor his parents have sinned. All right, uh, Jake, can you read it again? I'm blanking out on what comes next. That part, uh, neither him nor his parents.
Ah, so here we go. One of these real famous, like, Jesus titles. You know, if I were to say, let's just call out titles of Jesus. Light of the world would be it. Right? So there's this idea inherent right at the beginning, dark and light, dark and light. And what Jesus is going to be getting to is who actually is in darkness. Like, who actually can't see? Who is really blind in this situation? Right? As long as I'm in the world, I am the light. Now, 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 again, remember, blind dude hasn't said a thing. All he's doing is getting judged, and his family's getting judged, and Jesus is saying some cryptic things about working and light and darkness. And then Jesus makes this foundational, beautiful truth about who he is while the blind guy's sitting on the ground, not asking for anything, not saying anything, and just getting judged, just sitting there, Jesus makes this statement about, I'm the light of the world. And then Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, hocks a loogie on the ground and starts to play with it. Right? This is the kind of stuff that your toddler does. But Jesus is making a point. I just, he's, I love this, he's just so tactile. The man can't see. The man cannot experience what it is that Jesus could do. I just think Jesus is ministering to this man in exactly the way that he needs to be ministered to. For Jesus to, whoa, there's a crack here in the stage. (laughs) For Jesus to just stand back from this blind guy and go, be healed. And then for the blind guy, ah, I can see. That's fine. You know, that's cool. I'm sure the blind guy would be happy about that. But Jesus engages this man differently. He reaches out to him in the way that this man has only under, only ever understood communication in his whole life, which is he talks to him, he gives us something to smell, and he gives us something to feel. Right? Jesus hocks a loogie on the ground and plays with it, and he makes mud. What if Jesus had had garlic for lunch? Like, what, what would that mud have smelled like? It would have smelled like garlic. I mean, lick your hand and smell it if you want to. Spit stinks. Spit smells. It smells like whatever you are emitting at that point in time. If you've been talking for a while, your breath stinks. That's what your breath smells like, right? So the spit comes out, it's going to be that. If you have a mint in your mouth and you lick your hand, it's going to smell minty fresh. Good for you, you know? Like, but Jesus here... Jesus here spits on the ground. This, th- this is going to have the, the smell of both his spit and of the earth. Does the earth smell? Of course it does. Grab some dirt and smell it. It smells like earth. All right, so he's got that. He ministers to him in that. He ministers to him in that. He takes that mud and then he rubs it on his eyes. And he talks to him. He tells him to go and wash off his eyes. Now again, again, blind guy doesn't have a clue, still has not said a thing. Right? Blind guy still has not said a thing. He doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't look to have a conversation. He doesn't thank Jesus for defending him. Nothing. The blind guy is only receiving in this place. And Jesus gives him a gift of healing in a way that he can absolutely engage and know something is happening, right? Something is happening. Someone is rubbing on my eyes. It smells like something. It feels like something. And now what am I going to do? Honestly, folks, if somebody just, without your request, just rubs mud on your eyes, you're going to wash it off anyway, right? 
I mean, even a blind person who didn't know what was rubbed on his eyes is still going to, you're going to assume you don't want it there. Especially if he had garlic for lunch. Right? So Jesus engages this blind guy. Now, now again, when Jesus takes this mud and rubs it on the guy's eyes, what does he make the blind man become? Unclean. Right? He's dirty. If I go out and jump in a mud puddle and I come and, and you know, I go home, what is my wife going to tell me to do? Like, wash your own clothes. Right? You're the one that made them dirty. You need a shower. Right? You are dirty. You know, how often do you look at your kids and say this? You're dirty. You know, well, what's the evidence of dirt? Dirt. Right? If you're walking around with mud on your face, there is something inherent in the idea that you're, you're going to need to get clean. Right? Jesus takes the mud and he makes him literally, physically, truly unclean. Unclean. I mean, the man has already, notice, the man has already been declared unclean. The man has already been declared unclean. I want to make sure I give good eye contact to this side of the stage as well. The man has already been declared unclean by the judgment of the disciples. Right? Because a sinner can't step into the Holy of Holies. You know, a sinner can't enter into those places. He's already been judged to be unclean by virtue of the fact that somebody had to sin for him to be born blind. Jesus takes this mud and he rubs it on his eyes, makes him physically unclean, and says, go and wash yourself in the pool called Sent. Essentially, Jesus was sending him. Right? So the man goes and he washes his eyes and he can see. I mean, if you're this blind guy, what's your emotion in that place? He has never had this experience. He has never engaged this before. So, if you're him, how are you going to be feeling? Just call it out. What's that? Exuberant. What else? What's that? Emotional. Confused? Yeah, well done. Awestruck. Awestruck. All right. Overwhelmed? Yeah. I mean, all of these emotions are going to be in play in you. And when it comes, well, actually, let's get to the next section. I need somebody to stand up and read the next section, series of verses, eight through whatever that next paragraph is, if you're laid out in the paragraph format. Just the next, you know, you know what I'm saying. So, so here's a guy, right? Here, here's a person that these folks have seen. He's part of their community. He's, he's, uh, this is his hometown. Because we know that because they can go and get his parents soon. So like this is where he grew up. They've known him since he was born blind. They know what he looks like. They know where he sits. They know what he does. Like they, they are engaged in his life and he is engaged in their life on some level or another. This guy looks like the guy who was born blind. The problem is, is that he's not blind anymore. Right? So their automatic response is identity theft. Right? 
somebody stole the blind dude and replaced him with someone who looks exactly the same, but who can now see. That's got to be what happened. The option that does not get put on the table is that he was healed. Right? That, 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 that's not discussed. And at the beginning of that section that Mike just read, you might notice still no one has talked to the blind guy. And no one has received an answer from him. Until they finally ask him the question, assuming it is you, right? like, how did this happen? Well, there was this man, and he, what does it say, Jesus? See, this is, I can't even see my own text. It was my text? Yes, I am in front of my text. I, yeah, I get, it does say Jesus. All right. This man named Jesus, and Jesus is a common name in, in, uh, in Jesus' day, right? It just means Joshua. Um, so, to know that it's Jesus doesn't necessarily compute with the blind guy. He made some mud, and he rubbed it on my eyes, and I went and washed, and now I can see. All right, next section. All right. So normal people see the blind guy. They assume identity theft, um, but they're still confused as to whether or not this is actually him or not. Let's assume, I guess they then think to themselves, let's assume it is him. The blind guy, for somebody to be healed, for someone to, in, to uh, uh, like we talked about last week, for a leper to be cleansed, they would have had to go and present themselves to the priest, right? And then the priest, who knows the Levitical law, could determine whether or not they were clean. So they take the blind guy to the religious authorities, to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say to him, now, what happened? And he gives them the same story. Jesus made mud, and he rubbed it on my eyes, and he, he told me to go and wash, and so I went and washed, and now I can see. And the Pharisees go, you can see? That's incredible! What a healing! This is amazing! I mean, we're still not ready to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, we'd still like to stone him. But you've got to give the guy his props. He can make blind people see. No. No. A guy that they know has been blind for literally his entire life, forever, can now see. And they are asking, who did this? The dude tells them, who did this? And they go, they don't, they don't respond with, oh my gosh, you can see. No, they go, wait a second. You mean the dude made mud on a Sabbath? Let me get this straight. Did, did I hear this? Did, did he work on the Sabbath? Do you guys hear what I'm hearing? You know, like Levitical huddle. Doesn't, yeah, I mean, you remember what he said the other day. I am. Remember that when we were ready to stone him? Yeah, and now he's working on the Sabbath. This man's not from God. Well, I don't know, Bill. He did make a blind guy see. Can somebody from God, can somebody not from God do those kinds of things? Well, I don't know, but I'm sure shooting this guy worked on the Sabbath. And if you work on the Sabbath then you don't honor Yahweh. We need more information. Maybe it's not him. 
Maybe this isn't, maybe this is just some big scam by this crazy rabbi from Nazareth who's a nobody anyway. Somebody get this guy's parents. Somebody read the next section, please. All right, thank you. So, so the blind guy, the blind guy, he, he, he doesn't, they're not willing to let him validate himself. So instead, because they're still like in the identity theft mindset. They're sure, they're sure they've got Jesus when it comes to like working on the Sabbath. But the question is still, oh my goodness, the guy was blind and now he can see. He's not from God, he doesn't keep the Sabbath. How could he make somebody well if he's not from God? Well, maybe it's not him. Where's his parents? Poor parents who've already been absently judged in this situation for being sinners as it is and who have been caring for their son through his whole life with, and you got to understand, this isn't the first time these folks have gotten judged. When they had a son born blind, somebody went, boy, I wonder what they did. Every day, their whole lives, right, somebody's been silently judging these people. I mean, and if you're a parent who's got a kid who's sick or like who has a chronic condition, this question does enter your head. What did I do for? I mean, these parents would quickly have taken that blindness upon themselves for the sake of their son. I mean, what, what parent wouldn't want that? You know, easily take your kid's place, to take their suffering. And so, but it does enter your, your mind as far as, what did I do to warrant this for them? I mean, these are real questions by real hurting people. So the joy that these parents should be experiencing at the fact that their son, who was blind, can now see, is completely cut off by a bunch of religious guys who all that they care about is getting revenge for something that they think that they deserve revenge for. And they drag these poor folks into the situation, and they have their foot on the neck of the people, so much so that these people are terrified of being kicked out of the community that they are a part of. Because if they answer this question wrongly, these folks have so much religious power that they could dismiss them from the community that they have been a part of for years and years. And so the Pharisees bring these folks in, literally, for trial, for questioning, into the interrogation room. Is this your child? Yes, it's him. We know our kid. All the birthmarks are in the right place. Well, he says that he was made well by somebody working on the Sabbath. What do you say? Who made him well? Did that person work on the Sabbath? What say you? Speak up. You know, and all this fear is coming upon them as well, as any one of us would be in this situation. And we don't know. We weren't there. We didn't have the experience. He's an adult. Ask him. And so they do. Somebody read the next section, please. Up through verse 25. Ah, all right. So they bring the man in a second time, right, for questioning. They questioned the witnesses. They questioned the parents. They're sure that Jesus worked on the Sabbath. They're getting all of their legal things in place so that they can go back out to stone him again. And it it comes back around. The guy comes in. I love what they do here. They don't even know they do it because they issue an oath, but it actually reinforces what Jesus said, right? They say to the blind guy when he comes in, 
Give glory to God. Right? Give glory to God, which is basically like saying to the formerly blind guy, you know, put your hand on the Bible and swear that what you're saying is the truth. As though God himself were right here. Right? Yahweh's here with us. You have to glorify him who healed you. Right? By what means did this happen? Give glory to God. They issue this oath. What did Jesus say the purpose of his blindness was? Yay! Right? To do what? To, to give glory to God. So that the works of God could be revealed. I mean, the Pharisees are directly playing into Jesus' hand. Even by the oath that they bring. Give glory to God. Who healed you? Did this guy make you well? Actually, I want to get it right. Ted, can you read that again? Ah, that's it, that's it. Give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. It couldn't have been Jesus. Right? You've got to tell the truth about how this happened. You've been faking your blindness all these years since you were a baby. Or it was someone else. Or some other crazy thing happened. Or you just suddenly woke up. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner because if he's a sinner... And he can't do stuff like this. Look, I don't know who he is. I don't know if he is a sinner or not. I didn't have any part in the conversation to begin with. I was just sitting there and someone started rubbing dirt on my eyes. You ask me what I should think about this person, I told you. I assume he's a prophet. I know Elijah did crazy stuff like this. Moses did crazy stuff like this. A bunch of the prophets that I know from Torah uh, have done crazy stuff like this. So you ask me who he is, in my mind, he's a prophet. Whether or not he's a sinful prophet, I don't know. Frankly, I don't care. I do know this. I once was blind, but now I can see. Right? Very bright. I couldn't see, and now I can. This is what I know. Who he is, what he's about, I haven't discovered that. I mean, you see how hard this blind guy's having to work in this situation? Rob and I were just talking about this on the way in. Jesus, right? We get up to verse 7, and Jesus heals the guy. And Jesus just keeps right on walking. Blind guy is left on his own, formerly blind guy, left on his own to defend himself and to defend someone that he doesn't know who it is. Right? Jesus makes this blind guy wrestle. He makes this blind guy struggle. He makes him work. Right? Without his presence, Jesus, often, Jesus comes back into the picture. But man, isn't this so true of our experiences and suffering? Doesn't it feel like God's not there? Like, on some level, like, I'm working real hard here. I'm having to really, really put this thing together with, I'm having to come up with questions that, or answers to questions that I didn't anticipate. I'm having experiences that I didn't want, didn't ask for. So, he's a prophet. He's not around. What do you want me to tell you about him? What I do know this is this. Is his work in my life is real. 
What he did actually happened. I'm not hallucinating. Right? The, the manifestation, the illumination that he brings into my life, it actually was real because when I was blind, I was in darkness, but now I can see. It was fully black, now it's fully light. It was completely dark, and now it's not like that anymore. So how you want to engage him for yourselves, if you want to call him a sinner or not call him a sinner, frankly, that's between you and him. What I do know is his work in my life was real, and he set me free. This is a testimony. Folks, if you ever wonder how to tell people about Jesus, just do this. Just tell people about what God has done for you. You don't need four points and a poem and an invitational hymn. You don't need to have gone to school. You don't need to have read a lot of books. You don't need to have memorized all the right words. You don't need a formula. You don't need to close the sale. Tell people that you once were blind and now you can see. And you don't fully understand God and you don't know all the answers to their questions, and you don't know what it is that he may or may not be doing in their life. What you do know is what he's done in yours. And you do know that the love that he has for you is the same love that he has for them. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is this, is that what has happened to me is real. I once was blind, and now I can see. They said to him, How did he do it? What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? If you've been blind your whole life and now you can see, honestly, do you care how he did it? Does it matter to you at all? If your heart has been hurting, if you have experienced loneliness like nobody can know that God has brought his life into, and didn't answer the question the way that you thought that he would, but he's suddenly there. Do you care how that happened? Right? I mean, if you've been wrought with disease, or if your relationships have been broken, or if your dreams and hopes have been dashed, and God on some level either puts those back together or offers something better through himself, does it really matter the process by which that happened? But that's all that the Pharisees care about. Did this happen according to our rules? You're telling us that he's this big. We know that our box is this big. So until he fits into that, then we can't believe that you can see. But the guy is standing right there in front of them, and he can see. And these folks would rather close their eyes and be blind to what's real than to receive the sight for themselves that he received. This is so sad. This is so, so sad. How did he do it? What did he do to you? He answered them. Blind guy's talking here. I've already told you, and you would not listen. In this whole story, who's been most trained in listening? Blind guy. Who's the authority about who's listening and who's not listening? The blind guy. Why? Because he's had to spend his whole life learning how to listen really, really, really well. Right, so his ability to bring authority into this situation as to who's listening and who's not listening is very, very high. 
And he says to the Pharisees, I already told you what he did, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And this blind guy starts to get a chip on his shoulder. Right? Blind guy starts to get an attitude. This is great. Look, you guys want to hear the story again? Are you interested in becoming his followers? I mean, you're incredibly intrigued by the man. You won't stop talking about it. You won't just look at the evidence that's in front of you. Are you interested in becoming his disciples? And they reviled him. That's a very strong word. They reviled him. You know what reviles me? Like watching someone vomit. That's reviling, right? I mean, think the, the, the very nasty. They, they reviled him, right? They treated him like dirt, right? He was, ugh, no, we don't want to become his disciple. You are his disciple, and we are disciples of Moses, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, that's an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Like, the power didn't go through you. Who knew? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Right? I mean, he just unleashes the testimony of Christ on these unbelieving, like, boxed-in, religion-bound Pharisees where God needs to work like this. Jesus comes in and says, I'm bringing this. Something that you've never known or experienced before. But the religious establishment cannot handle it. They can't even believe what is set there right in front of them. It's right in front of them. Do you see what they say? We know that Moses heard from God. No, they don't. Not like they know what's happening right in front of them right there. They weren't there. They did not witness it. They did not see it. They believe it by faith. The same way that you and I believe that Moses heard from God. We believe that by faith. Right? And that's a faith that is worked through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And it's a faith that is substantive, but it is a faith that is not sense-engaged. Right? I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. I didn't smell the smoke on the mountain. Right? I didn't feel it. I didn't taste any of the Levitical sacrifices that Moses brought. I didn't, I received those things not by my five senses, but by, by faith, which is absolutely appropriate, absolutely right. In this situation, the faith that they need to believe that the blind guy can see because Jesus healed him, that is so simple. That is so simple, right? Why? Because a blind guy couldn't see and now he can. And he's right there. The faith that they need to believe that this happened is something that they think that, that they cannot get past because they will not allow the faith the small little tiny faith that is this boxed in god that god wants to explode and unleash his love in their lives that can't happen even though it's right there in front of them don't get me wrong i'm not trying to judge these guys either i've missed that i bet you have too an absolute obvious work of god in my life that was sort of like, in hindsight, how, how did I miss that? Like, how did I get that wrong? Where, where did that, where did that 
Where did that come from? That, the, the, I remember, I spent about, oh man, I was probably a good nine months to a year. After Ben's CF diagnosis, that was a time in the history of um, uh, worship music that the song Blessed Be Your Name was really big. Right? We all that song, Blessed Be Your Name, the land is plentiful. The song says, when things are good, when things are bad, blessed be your name. Right? But my world had been completely shattered. And so for like nine months to a year, uh, I decided that I wasn't going to sing this song. And our church loved this song. And my students in my youth group loved this song. This was like an every weeker kind of a thing, you know, like we wanted to sing this song. And I was just, just at a point where I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't sing that song. Not in good conscience. Because I didn't know that I believed it. I look back on that time then. I don't judge myself or condemn myself for, be, for being in that spot at that time. But I can look back on it then, now, and see what God was doing then. And God was so active in my life. Like he was working so faithfully with me. So patiently. I look back at that time and I see his hand at work. And so, I, I, I mean, I could stand here the rest of the day and tell you about that year of my life and all the things that God did that were amazing, that I completely missed, even though they were right in front of me. But because what God was calling me to was to step outside of my box, and I wasn't willing to let this box go yet. You know, by the end of that year, it had gotten, well, yeah, that's another story, another sermon. Um, But allowing God's space to receive his grace and to let that box explode was the key. And these Pharisees, they just can't do it. They just can't do it. He can't work on the Sabbath and be from God. It's just that simple. One plus one equals two. What in your life is a one plus one equals two? If this is happening to me, this is my one plus one equals two. If this is the circumstance that God asked me to carry, God's not in, or I don't want that to carry, I don't want to carry that, God's not in my life. Right, one plus one equals two. It was basic math for me. I think we all live in these things. Uh, I, I'm probably living in some of these things right now. You know, what are the things in your life that keep this boxed for you, that keep God understandable and manageable? What is God calling from you? to receive from him? What kind of awareness is he asking you to have about the absolute illumination of Christ in your life that you're pushing back against? The Pharisees, they can't even receive what's right in front of them. The blind guy just continues testifying. Just continues testifying. Sarcastically, <laughs> caustically, right? Like, well, isn't that something? This guy could do amazing things and he didn't even clear it with you. Who knew? You know, to think that someone could operate outside of your power. They can't handle it. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. So the blind guy, just like that, honestly, the guy has done almost nothing. Just sitting there, gets healed, gets questioned, answers the same way, keeps his testimony faithful, doesn't, doesn't lie, doesn't get off base, brings truth 
and they cast him out. He, they're done with him. This amazing manifestation of the miraculous work of God is in front of them. And they take the amazing, miraculous, illuminating manifestation of Christ and they cast it out. You can't be here. Why? Because we don't worship God like that. We worship God like this. God fits into these parameters, in these ways. And you're threatening that. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Now, who else did they cast out, by the way? Jesus. Right, Jesus has been cast out long ago. This is like long, long ago. Whoa, dude talks to loose Samaritan women by wells. You know, unclean. This is, this is crazy. Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, this is great. Having found him, he said, Jesus, Jesus enters back into the picture at the point that the man is removed from any kind of fellowship or community. Jesus brings his community back to the man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have what? You have seen him. Had the blind man seen him? No, he hadn't. Jesus put mud on his eyes and told the guy to transport himself to a well, to a pool somewhere. Right? And then Jesus kept going. When Jesus comes back, the blind guy doesn't respond with any kind of familiarity. The blind guy doesn't go, oh, you're the one that healed me. Thank you. know, He doesn't throw himself at Jesus' feet or anything like that. Jesus comes back into the picture, and we know that Jesus... Take the flannel graph picture out of your head. Right? It's not the white bathrobe with the red sash, you know, any of that kind of stuff, the long flowing locks, and a, and a white guy. Right? This would have been just a normal Jewish man. Isaiah tells us that there, he had no form, he had no comeliness, that we should be attracted to him. Jesus did not walk around with people going, just, just by sight, oh, it's him. There were not light beams from heaven. Well, once or twice. Twice. Um, but those are different stories. <laughs> you got to watch what you say when you're talking about Jesus. Okay, it's incredible. Um, but not in this situation. And so Jesus is walking along, right? He, the blind guy does not know that it's him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he that I can believe, right? Who is this Messiah? Who is this one? Who, who is he? Jesus says, you have seen him even though he hadn't, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. This is important, folks. You have seen him is in the past tense. Jesus pulls out both tenses on purpose. You have seen him. Back then, you saw him, even though the blind guy didn't. And it is he who is speaking to you. So, back then, you saw me. Right now, you're seeing me even though he had, because the works of God were being illuminated in this man's life. He was in darkness, but then he was brought into light. Right? The work of God is, is it, God is moving in your life. He is. He is working. He is not absent. He might not be working in ways that you think that he should. 
He might not be working in ways that you wish that he would. You wouldn't, he might not be thinking or working in ways that, he pro, that you probably could. I'm Dr. Seuss. That's good stuff. How long can I do this? Jesus likes to chop wood. And then he acts really good. All right. Um, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. So even though this didn't happen, right? Even though there was not a, I saw him, he saw him. In the same way that the Pharisees could say, Moses heard from God. The blind man could say, I've seen Jesus. Fast forward to the book of Peter, chapter 1. Peter includes you and I in a very interesting statement where he says that we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. You have seen Jesus. He's been at work. You might not have eyes to see it. Or you might miss it. But he's working. He is doing what he does. You've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. In other words, if you are going to base your sight and your experience and your judgment of God's work in your life on you and yourself and your expectations and your box, if you're going to say, I can see God as long as God works like this, and as long as God works like this, I see God. God is very active in my life. God is active in my life when I have my devotions. He's active in my life when I go to church on Sunday morning. He is active in my life when I pray, right? But for God to be active in my life at my deepest points of pain and darkest points of question, that's different. I don't see God in those places. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world. Don't read that Don't read that word condemnation. If Jesus wanted to use the word condemnation, he would have. He used it back in John 3. He's very familiar with the concept. Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world. The word judge in Greek, it means separation. It means to separate. And that's exactly what Jesus does. For judgment I came into this world. That those who could not see can see, can now see. And that those who think that they can see, no longer can because it is only by making them blind that they will need to receive sight. If I put this thing on and take a running start and jump off this stage, and if I was 15 years younger, I would do it. But I've noticed that things aren't quite the same. Right? I can, and if the whole time I'm like, I can see. I can see. I can see. You know, like, I promise, and you're looking at me and you're thinking, Jay, no, you can't. Like, who of you would let me go out of these doors and put my keys in the car and drive? Hopefully, none of you. Hopefully, you would all freak out over the reality. Jay, you can't see. And I could stand here and I could say to you, Tom Blue in the face, I can see. I'm fine to drive. And at some point, you're just going to be like, we can't help this guy. But we're sure as heck not going to give him his keys. 
for judgment I came into this world, that those who cannot see will be given sight, and that those who say that they can see will be made blind. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them. Light has shined. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the sight that you give us in Christ. Thank you for the simplicity and the bold power of our brother's testimony. I once was blind, but now I can see. Thank you for the light of Christ that shines in this dark dark world and that shines in the darkest and most remote recesses and corners of our minds and hearts and spirits bring your light God bring your light illumine us thank you for who you are for your active work in our lives and God where we are blind I grant us sight where our arrogance and pride take over, where we declare that we've got this, we're on it, I can see just fine. God, by your grace, blind us that we might be healed by you to true sight, to true light, to true freedom in Christ. Thank you for your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for sending us Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, we thank you for coming and shining into our darkness. Holy Spirit, we thank you for taking the light of Christ and for, with it, illuminating our hearts and getting into the depths of us, redeeming, restoring, bringing hope, loving, separating us. From our darkness. God, we thank you for your work in our lives. And God, for each of my brothers and sisters here, God, I pray that you would break down all of our boxes, explode our vision of you. And as we engage and receive your healing and your work, however it is that you want to bring it, God, I pray that each one, each of my brothers and sisters would receive the full joy of Christ that they were meant to live in. And that's my prayer for you this new year, my brothers and sisters at Cornerstone. May you receive the healing that God has for you, and may you walk in joy. Amen. Amen.